Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are into the first round of basketball's playoffs, and it has been incredibly, incredibly enjoyable. Some series may be all but done, the <laughs> Toronto Raptors, and others are just getting more intense. Bet online is the place to stop for all of your bets, props, odds, wagers, gambles, plays, and any and everything gambling during the basketball playoffs. Use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is April 19th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening we have got ourselves a fantastic show coming at you today. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Dallas Mavericks. We're going to have a little bit of an NBA playoff preview of sorts with our friend Juju Talks Sports. We had the interview with the Net Celtics series yesterday. We're going to add some more intrigue around this series to, or I guess the other series, here today with a slump buster takeover, kind of for the first time over the past two weeks, but we also did the Rob Parker interview, which was cool, and the interview with this Nets guy, which I enjoyed. So it's a full slump buster takeover with myself and Juju here today on the show. We'll get to that in a little bit to start off with for our A block here today. I want to laugh at, I don't want to say NBA casuals, but I want to laugh at some people who tried to convince me over the past two months just because I wasn't watching NBA basketball during the regular season this year because I learned two years ago when it was Kristaps Porzingis' return game to the Garden and I tried to get excited and tried to get hyped for the game that I realized it just doesn't matter. And like me jumping out of the, or like, I don't know how the Matrix worked, but like me falling out of the Matrix or me entering the Matrix or however the movie The Matrix works, because I never watched it, like exiting the Matrix, I realized NBA regular season basketball simply doesn't matter. As long as you get in the playoffs, you're gonna be fine. Now, it does give us a representation of who the best teams are, but you could have told me at the start of the year to list who the best teams in the NBA were, and I would have gotten it about 80% correct. In fact, we have a list here of how I projected the beginning of the NBA season and then proceeded to watch no more than like 20 hours of basketball the entire season. 
this year. It might not even have been like most of that was on Christmas and like right up to the play in game. Like I did not watch any regular season basketball this year. And so I said at the start of the year, Milwaukee and Brooklyn would be your elite teams. The next group of teams would be Miami and Philadelphia. The next group would be Boston and Chicago. And I think I had the Hawks in the mix there too. Then you had the first round exits, which was the, or I'm sorry, the play-in teams, which I said was the New York Knicks, the Washington Wizards. Uh, I said it was going to be the Pacers and the Hornets would be the play-in teams. And then after that would be the bad teams. Or no, I think I had the Pacers as a bad team. I'm sorry, I missed that one up. The Pacers were a bad team. And Toronto I listed as a tanking team. Now, should I have known that the Knicks would probably be better? Yes. And should I, or I'm sorry, should I have known the Raptors would be better than the Knicks? Yes, that's just judging by which franchises are run well and which ones are run poorly. But you kind of knew who was what in the NBA this year, like relatively, like Brooklyn is worse than I thought they were. Boston is slightly better than I thought they were. Miami might be really good. They might make a conference final and James Harden's now on the 76ers, but pretty much everything was pretty close. And that's because the NBA is so dependent on stars and there wasn't a lot of star movement over the off season to change the landscape of the league from what we saw in 2021. And what we saw in 2021 was Philadelphia was a really, really good team. Brooklyn and Milwaukee were the two best teams in the East, and that was kind of the storyline last year. Miami got a little bit better, Boston got a little bit better, but you could have foreseen both of those improvements, not necessarily them being one and two in the East, but I'd argue that they aren't actually the one and two teams in the East. Milwaukee is definitely the best team in the Eastern Conference, bar none. And then Milwaukee and Boston and Philadelphia and Brooklyn are all smushed together instead of having Philadelphia and and Miami, and I guess to a certain extent, Boston smushed together in that way. So all of that to say, NBA regular season, pretty worthless. But there were a lot of people who watched regular season basketball who, one, are trying to convince me that the Celtics are championship good, and we talked about that yesterday. We don't need to rehash that. But people who tried to convince me, because I wasn't watching regular season basketball, and they were watching an exorbitant amount of Toronto Raptor basketball that the Toronto Raptors actually had a chance against the Philadelphia 76ers in the first round. Not even that they would win, just that they could take the series to seven games or six games. And you'll hear me talk about with Juju on the podcast when he picks the Toronto Raptors to beat the Philadelphia 76ers in an absolutely laughable fashion that I had the Sixers winning in five and a half games because I would easily say Sixers in six, or I'm sorry, Sixers in five, Sixers in four. This is a classic first round matchup. And it ended up being exactly what I thought it was. I was being tricked by smart basketball people that the Toronto Raptors might actually be kind of good. And they are not. Because the joke I'd been saying from the start of the season is like, this is just a team of precious Achuas. It is Pascal Siakam, yes, and Pascal Siakam is a third star. Pascal Siakam is as valuable to a team as we talked about with D'Angelo Russell on the uh, D'Angelo Russell on the Minnesota Timberwolves, which is as a third best player, 
he can be a viable threat for winning basketball. As a third best player, he won a championship as long as Kawhi Leonard was his best player and Kevin Durant tears his Achilles in the finals and Klay Thompson tears his ACL in the game after Kevin Durant tears his Achilles. All of that put together, you could win a championship with Pascal Siakam as your third best player. And now Pascal Siakam was the best player on the Raptors and they were terrible. Where I misstepped on the Raptors was that I thought last year was more an embodiment of the Raptors than the sample size we had before. And Toronto was a much better team. It's just their problem last year was they played in Tampa Bay for the entire season because they couldn't go to Toronto with COVID policies. And so playing the entire season away from home got it to a place where Toronto did the Laker thing last year where they just didn't want to keep playing basketball. And so once they got to the 12 seed, they just were like, we just want this to end. It's not worth fighting for the play-in spot over the Hornets or the Pacers, which by the way, quick side note, I didn't get to mention last week. I love the storyline so much that the Charlotte Hornets in their practice facility put up a photo of the scoreboard from last year against the Pacers when they lost by 24 points in the play-in game as motivation, and then they proceeded to lose by 27 in the play-in game this year, which is absolutely amazing irony. And we talk about how when you're uh, when you're trying to develop a young star, and we'll talk about it more in a second, you usually have to be bad to get to the top of the draft to develop a star. And like with Memphis, it took them getting to the play-in game in the bubble and losing. Then they won the play-in game in John Morant's second season. And then in their third season, they made a leap to getting... Or last year, they played a seven-game series. Now they might win a seven-game series. All of that stuff that we talk about with young players' development, that's where LaMelo Ball's at. You lose by 24 in the play-in game as a 10 seed, then you lose by 27 in the play-in game as a 10 seed. This is part of LaMelo Ball's development, or the Charlotte Hornets are just doomed to be a 10 seed for the rest of time, because the Charlotte Hornet joke we used to make was Kemba Walker purgatory. You're good enough to win 35 games, not good enough to get a top pick in the draft. The one year they get a top pick in the draft, they get LaMelo Ball, and they go right back to Kemba Walker 10th seed purgatory. Congratulations to the Charlotte Hornets for their life in Kemba Walker 10th seed purgatory, because that seems to be where that franchise exists, to be 10th place. But at least now they get a play-in game where they lose by 25 every year. Anyways, back to Toronto. Last year, Toronto was the 12th seed, and they didn't want to fight for the play-in game. And I should have seen it better that they weren't actually that bad. They were just tanking. Again, I didn't watch any Toronto Raptor basketball in 2021. But in 2021, I was watching a lot of regular season basketball, at least a moderate amount of regular season basketball in 2021. I just didn't really realize that the Toronto... I wasn't watching Toronto Raptor basketball because the Toronto Raptors sucked. And they lost Kyle Lowry in free agency. Now... It was a sign-and-trade situation, so they got back Goran Dragic and Precious Achua from the Miami Heat, which prompted the Precious Achua jokes that I've been making for a while and am going to continue to make here on this fine podcast with a scripted bit that we have at the end of this segment. And so then they get Goran Dragic, and Goran Dragic gets traded to San Antonio and gets bought out, and they get like Thaddeus Young in a draft pick or something like that to flip the contracts or whatever. And so Toronto kind of just flips Kyle Lowry into 
give Van Fleet more minutes, give Gary Trent more minutes, and they turned in that they turned that losing season into getting the fourth pick in the lottery to draft Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes is awesome. He got hurt in game one of this series, so obviously I acknowledge like injuries changed the outcome of the series, but it wasn't gonna flip the the, the outcome like who wins the series. It was gonna make it Toronto might win a game with Scotty Barnes starting instead of OG Ananobi giving you 24 points and 38 minutes in a playoff game. So that part of it changed the equation for the Toronto Raptors in like, we lose Kyle Lowry, we increase minutes for everyone else. And by the way, this was the exact strategy that Toronto used when they lost Kawhi Leonard. And it's not the most efficient strategy because of the salary cap sport of the NBA. I talked about this back in 2020 during the pandemic a lot because I was really, really fascinated by Toronto, not just because I loved Kawhi Leonard, but for how they pivoted off of having Kawhi Leonard. They had, if you dumb it down to its barest minimum level, Toronto had to replace 28 points of Kawhi Leonard going into the 2020 season. And the way they decided to do that was Van Fleet increased his points per game by seven points. Siakam increased his points per game by seven points. OG Ananobi increased his points per game by six points. Um, I, I can't remember who it was. Norman Powell. Norman Powell flipped in for Danny Green, who also left in free agency after that season. And I forgot who the last person was now, but there was a fourth person on that team. It was Norman Powell. It was Fred Van Fleet. It was Siakam. And it was... God, I can't remember who the last person was, but someone else added five points per game for the Toronto... I think it was Kyle Lowry. I think Kyle Lowry added another five points per game for the Toronto Raptors. And so all of them together made up for the loss of Kawhi Leonard, and they still won 50 games because the strategy worked. Like, all of them significantly improved their numbers because they all became larger parts of the offense. And you may remember in the bubble, Toronto was playing Boston... And they were losing 3-1 to Boston. And then they came back to make it a 3-3 series. And they forced a game seven. And they lost by like only three points in the second round to Boston. They were as good as Boston and as good as Miami. Miami ended up making the finals. And Boston should have been able to beat Miami to make it to the finals. Like in a year where Giannis got hurt in the bubble. And there were no other good teams in the East. Because Kevin Durant was hurt that year with the torn Achilles. And Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were falling apart with the 76ers. Like, with all of that happening, they were good enough to go to the finals as one of these, like, second-tier teams. And when they lost Kyle Lowry last year, I thought it was, they're going to the bottom of the lottery. They're going to trade, possibly, Pascal Siakam. And they were offered, like, the seven pick in the draft by the Warriors for Pascal Siakam. And they wanted more. And Toronto decided not to sell low there re-signed Fred Van Fleet and traded Norman Powell for Gary Trent and pretty much nothing else. Like they they got like a second round pick in there too, but pretty much nothing else other than Norman Powell for Gary Trent. And Toronto finds themselves in a place where they try to do the same thing again. We lose Kyle Lowry. We're going to replace his production internally. Fred Van Fleet's going to have an all-star caliber season. Siakam's going to increase his points per game two more points. Gary Trent Jr. is going to come in here. Precious Achua is going to come in, and he's going to average 12 points a game. We're just going to do little by little, adding the pieces back together to hit a certain threshold of points, which is a really interesting strategy because 
in a sport where everyone is boom or bust and trying to compete, they dumb it down to essentially, we need to hit this many points scored in order to win basketball games. How are we going to hit that number? Well, we're going to do it with Van Fleet, and we're going to do it with, uh, you know, sub in. Oh, Ananobi's gone. Let's sub in Norman Powell. Oh, Norman Powell's gone. Let's sub in Gary Trent. Let's sub in Precious Achua. Let's bring in Thaddeus Young. He can give us seven points here and there. And they find these weird value plays in weird places, and they can get players deep in drafts like Van Fleet, who is undrafted. Pascal Siakam, who's a 27th pick in the draft. Gary Trent was a mid-first round pick. OG Ananobi was a mid-first round pick. Toronto finds weird value in weird places. And it's interesting how they've been able to sustain an above-average basketball team by doing that replacement and finding value within the margins, which is a testament to how well-run the organization is. Because like we talked about on Monday with the Miami Heat, the best-run organizations are the people who I, I believe find value in the later rounds of the draft and say, I can do something with you. Where no one else is finding value, I can bring value to my team. And that's where we're going to get a competitive edge as an organization. And so the Toronto Raptors, by the way, this season, were uh, tw- they were not great in scoring this year, but they were seventh in defense in allowing points per game. And They were not great offensively, but that's the problem when you lose Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard is, yes, you can replace those points, but it's not a sustainable strategy. For example, in a salary cap sport with max contracts, the Philadelphia, I'm sorry, the Toronto Raptors could get 28 points per game from Kawhi Leonard and a go-to score guaranteed at the end of games, or they could give Van Fleet $20 million dollars. Norman Powell, $10 million, which they did at the time before trading him. They can give Pascal Siakam $27 million, and they can give Danny Green $15 million. And then when Danny Green goes, you replace him with OG Ananobi, who's getting paid $12 million per year. And in a salary cap sport, you're going to lose to the team that can just get the Kawhi Leonard. And the Kawhi Leonard at only $38 million will beat the four players who combine make $62 million per season because it's a competitive advantage that allows them to fill their ranks with their own Danny Greens and their own Norman Powells and their own Gary Trents. That's essentially at its dumbest level why the superstar is so valuable in the NBA combined with the fact that there's only five players on the floor at a time and one single player can impact winning on that level once you get to the playoffs and benches shrink and all that stuff. And so for that reason, I knew Toronto was fraudulent. People trying to convince me that team basketball was going to be the key to victory for the Toronto Raptors. It was obvious that that was not going to be the case. And it was really, really funny to watch them try and just get destroyed by a team that has superstars, a.k.a. Joel Embiid and James Harden. Because everyone wants to make the case, well... When you're drafting, you're drafting players in the series. You'll take the first two from Philadelphia, and then you'll take the next six from the Toronto Raptors. And that can work sometimes. Like, I think that matters for the Miami Heat when they go up against the Philadelphia 76ers. But that's because the Philadelphia, the Miami Heat still have Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, and Tyler Hero all of whom are all-star caliber players. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, third-tier stars. You pencil them into the all-star team every single year. 
Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you pencil those guys into the all-star team every single year. It's not the case with Joel Embiid and James Harden. And James Harden may not even be the same player he once was. Who cares? Like, it just is so far ahead of anyone else because Joel Embiid can just give you 30 every single game. And if Joel Embiid gives you 30 every single game and you're trying to counter that with 25 from Van Fleet, 20 from Siakam, 22 from Norman Powell, or 24 in 38 minutes from OG Ananobi like he had in Game 2 against Philadelphia. Yeah, it might work every now and then, but it's not as guaranteed as Joel Embiid giving you 30 every single game because Joel Embiid is simply unguardable. And that's why Philadelphia was always going to win that series and why the Bulls aren't going to win their series and why Toronto's not going to win their series and why they shouldldn't they're, that's why they're first round exit teams. Toronto incredibly overachieved this year and people were trying to convince me that that would translate to the playoffs when I ain't no Joe I've been watching NBA basketball for eight years and they haven't changed the salary cap system in those eight years. I know the Toronto Raptors are not. A playoff or not a championship caliber team. The Toronto Raptors are a team that sneaks into the playoffs, maybe builds on something, and uses Siakam to acquire a player better than Siakam, or uses Fred Van Fleet to trade for a player better than Fred Van Fleet, who's disgruntled with the team they're on. Or they just continue to make the playoffs like the Utah Jazz are doing, or like we talked about the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sunday might be doing. That's just the best you can do with the pieces that you have, which is a huge testament to Toronto, because again, when do superstars ever go to the Toronto Raptors? They found Kyle Lowry in the, like, (laughs) he was traded from Houston as like a throwaway piece. Yeah, they got a first round pick for him, but he was basically, if Houston saw value in Kyle Lowry as a Hall of Famer, they would not have traded Kyle Lowry. DeMar DeRozan was drafted by the team and developed over a decade they don't really just find stars out of nowhere in Toronto. Eventually, they'll find someone. Someone will be disgruntled with another team, and similar to how they did with Kawhi Leonard, they'll pick another guy. And credit to them, because I thought they were going to fall apart after Kawhi Leonard left, the same way the San Antonio Spurs fell apart after Kawhi Leonard left. And they pivoted quite nicely. It's difficult to do, and they've remained sustainably good. And finding Van Fleet undrafted, who was, you know, like the fifth best player on a championship team and is now three years later an all-star, that's an awesome job by Toronto. That's finding value and finding a well-run organization by the fact that I can point to like five different versions of that. And it's a nice story. And nice stories will lose to Joel Embiid in the first round of the playoffs by a lot. And so... I wanted to put together a nice little bit to laugh at the people who believed in the Toronto Raptors and tried to convince me because I hadn't been watching playoff basketball and creating a little bit of angst and hedging my bet a little bit by saying Sixers in six instead of Sixers in four or five. I said five and a half. Five or six is semantics, but Philadelphia will win. And then Philadelphia crushed the Toronto Raptors in each of the first two games of this series. And I feel dumb for even thinking for a second that my basketball acumen was not correct when it comes to the playoffs. So here's this little bit that I constructed to laugh at people who wanted to believe in the Toronto Raptors and their team of precious Achuas. 
Welcome back to the action here on the Take It Easy podcast network. My name is Kyle Ledbetter, and we continue our coverage of the 2022 NBA playoffs. Toronto Raptors have the ball here. Precious Achua is going to inbound the ball to Precious Achua here. The Raptors are going with a four Precious Achua lineup here. Four Achuas, one Van Fleet. Achua rotates the ball over to Achua. The Toronto Raptors won 48 games this regular season in the NBA. They were one of the surprise darlings of the NBA with people like myself saying they would be a tanking team at the start of the season. Achua swings the ball to Van Fleet. Three-pointer on the way. Van Fleet, it is no good. And now the Achuas go back on defense. Great matchup here with Achua on Tyrese Maxey. We'll see how that works out. 76ers going with a lineup of Maxey and James Harden, and Joel Embiid. Do we know two other players on the Philadelphia 76ers? They're not really important, but the Philadelphia 76ers don't have Matisse Thibel for this game because, again, Matisse Thibel, anti-vaxxer, not available for play here. And the Toronto Raptors, back to them, I mean, just a scrappy, hard-fought team. You know, smart basketball people were saying that despite the fact the team has seven precious Achuas, on their roster that they might be a sneaky out in the first round. Don't be surprised if Toronto wins this first round matchup and uh, Achua will take the ball up the court the other way. Toronto, I mean, they are just a scrappy, crazy bunch. And Nick Nurse, just an amazing basketball coach. Just such a well-run organization. Great fundamental basketball they play. They're a team without egos. They have no stars. And how can you have a star when 62% of your roster is Precious Achua's? Team rotates the ball. Achua over to Van Fleet. Van Fleet takes a step back in the corner, puts up a shot, and no good. Going back the other way for Philadelphia. It's just been an incredible run for this Toronto team. I mean, I we can't get enough of this Toronto team with all the talk of the season about the anti-vax Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76er drama. I mean, just a good wholehearted basketball team here for the Toronto Raptors as they get the ball inside to Maxi. Maxi lays it up and in for a basket for Philadelphia. And uh, they are going to stick with the lineup here. Achua is going to get the ball over to Precious Achua in the corner. Toronto Raptors were better than the Chicago Bulls this year. And the Chicago Bulls were the one seed for four months of the NBA season. And, and just so far ahead of expectations. I mean, credit to Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is just a phenomenal basketball coach, I tell you what. And... Uh, They're just playing so great right now. Shot missed by Van Fleet going back the other way here for Philadelphia. It's interesting to see how they match up here because obviously you have Joel Embiid. And here we go. Embiid takes the ball down inside, moves past Achua, and a slam dunk by Joel Embiid. A big finish there getting past Achua. Embiid now ups his total on the game to a subtle 42 points. And the 76ers extend their lead over Toronto to 27 points. On the verge of a sweep here in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Timeout call by Nick Nurse with his team down by 27. Might be time for him to bust out the big guns here on the verge of elimination. He might be going to the five Precious Achua lineup here. This show is presented by Athletic 
Greens. We've told you about Athletic Greens before. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to get your body right. Athletic Greens is one scoop in a cup of water every day, and that's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D. That's 365 days worth of Athletic Greens. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. You can also use the link in the description to this episode. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So before we move to our playoff preview, a week into the playoffs with Juju Talk Sports from the Slump Buster podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm not ready to do the whole eulogy on the Dallas Mavericks, even though next week is going to probably be heavy NFL draft coverage and we'll get some Nets and Celtics talk and Timberwolves and Grizzlies will be interesting and this is like the seventh best series out of eight but Dallas and Utah was a series that was supposed to be the next step for Dallas we talked about a little bit earlier how when you draft a generational star usually they come at the top of the draft and for them to develop into generational stars they need to be on teams that usually aren't ready-made to win, or at the very least at some point in their first five years, won't be ready-made to win. And so for the Dallas Mavericks, that cycle was first year with Luka missed the playoffs. Next year, they get to the playoffs in the bubble. They have that really awesome series against the Clippers where Luka hit the step-back buzzer-beater three, and it's 2-2, and it looks like they might have a chance to take down the Clippers team that was the best team in the NBA that year. Like, I know the Clippers were the two-seed, I want to say, and they ended up beating the seven-seed Mavericks in six games, and the sixth game was like a gigantic blowout. But, like, the Clippers were one of the best, like, the best team in the NBA. They just happened to blow a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets in the bubble. And so, the Clippers and Mavericks series was, like, the first introduction for Luka. And then they added Tim Hardaway, I guess. And Porzingis took a step back. And they should have beat the Clippers last year in the playoffs. If not for Luka getting injured in that series... The Mavericks probably win, and it went seven games. People forget it went seven games last year. It looked like Dallas was going to advance. They were going to play Utah in the second round. They were going to be able to beat Utah, and then it would have possibly been Dallas and Phoenix for the conference championship. And we could, should, would get Luka Doncic four games away from the NBA Finals in a year where Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL But the Mavericks took down the Clippers before that, and LeBron James and Anthony Davis got hurt, and it's a changing of the guard in the Western Conference. Dallas was like right there to jumping over Utah, jumping over Denver, jumping over the Clippers, and getting a shot at the finals. I don't think they would have beaten the Suns last year. It would have been a more appealing series than them against the Clippers. And so now... This year, in a Western Conference where if you take away the Phoenix Suns, 
nobody knows what to do with the West. Like it's like the the Eastern Conference. I think it was four years ago now or three years ago when you took away LeBron James and he went to the Lakers and it was like, what is this conference now? And that that was when the Bucks asserted themselves as the number one seed and like for three consecutive years and now like four consecutive years, the best team in the conference because that's how good Giannis Antetokounmpo is. One seed in 2019, like a well-deserved one seed, not like the Utah one seed last year that was clearly a fluke. Like well-deserved one seed, 66 game pace before the pandemic happened. Last year, they were a three seed by semantics. This year, win 50 games because the regular season doesn't matter, defending NBA champions. And that is kind of the transition period the West was in. And now Phoenix has established themselves as the mountain with Devin Booker, who with all praise to Devin Booker, like Devin Booker is not as good as Luka Doncic is. The problem is the Mavericks don't have a second option with Luka to make his life a little bit easier. They have Hardaways and... Dinwiddies, which used to be Hardaway's and Porzingis's, and I joked that, of course, they were going to give Hardaway $100 million, and lo and behold, they gave Hardaway like $64 million last summer, and it was not a great contract, but you know what? It's what you had to do. Luca signed the Supermax. It's not great, but it's the best he can do, and now this was a year that they were supposed to get the second round matchup against Phoenix. Because Luka Doncic is so good that just by having him on their team and him having the highest usage rate in the league by like a significant amount, they can win 50 games. Simply by having Luka Doncic on your team, you can win 50 games. And I know it's weird to talk about Luka Doncic in the context of making these championship runs. Kevin Durant made the finals at 22 years old. LeBron James made the finals at 22 years old. And it's weird to put Luka Doncic in that camp, but the thing that they hold in... By the way, Giannis Antetokounmpo was a two-time MVP by 25 years old and should have made the finals in 2020 if he doesn't get hurt. And it's weird that we talk about Luka Doncic in that context, but these are the type of great players Luka Doncic is in the camp of. Luka Doncic is a generational star in the NBA. The generation of players roughly drafted between 2018 and 2021, those players are the Luka Doncic generation. It's going to be like Luka Zion or Luka Jaw, or maybe someone else is going to get in the mix there. This youth generation, the babies of the NBA right now, who are all like two or three years away from coming for the throne of Giannis, coming for the throne of Joel Embiid, coming for Kevin Durant who's now like aging out of his prime, but is still one of the four, I guess really two best basketball players in the world, but really let's say four best basketball players in the world. The babies are coming for the generation that's currently in their prime. That generation's led by Giannis and Jokic and Embiid and Anthony Davis. The children are slowly climbing up behind. They've gotten to a point now where they're developed in their game enough where they can compete with those players. And by the way, it's going to make this next playoff run incredibly fascinating and make the next two years incredibly fascinating in the NBA. The part that makes me sad is that Luka got hurt again this year. And this is a generational star who could be beginning to make that leap. 
sure, it took Giannis a few years to get to that point. Luka's right there. And like, say he's a generational star and he shoots for the moon and he misses and he becomes James Harden. Because Luka Doncic at 23 is already doing what James Harden did from like age 27 to age 32 with the Rockets. Like, he's already that good. And Luka Doncic is putting up 30 points a game, has one of the highest usage rates in the NBA, and is already guaranteed a top five MVP candidate. I guess James Harden's 32 now. So let's say from age 26 to age 30, five seasons between 2015 and 2020. James Harden finished top two in the MVP four times in five years. 2015, the first Steph Curry year. 2017, he finished second to Westbrook, and he should have finished first. 2018, he finished first in the MVP. 2019, he should have beat out Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm not saying he should have beat out Giannis Antetokounmpo. He was just a clear second in the MVP race. So from 2015 to 2019, those five seasons with James Harden, which I guess would be like his age 25 to age 29, James Harden was top two in the MVP four out of five times. Luka is already that at 23 years old. Luka already is putting up similar numbers to that. And that, when James Harden was 27-28, was good enough to single-handedly beat the Warriors in a one-game sample size and come within a split-second chance and a Chris Paul injury from and an 0 for 27 game from the three point line from winning an NBA championship. That's what Luka's going to be three, four years from now. What we're getting right now is a chance to have a fluke championship run, to do what Durant did in 2012, LeBron did in 2007. That's what we're looking at right now with Luka Doncic. And it sucks that he's getting injured at these points because I was going to come here and say they have no chance to beat Utah without Luka Doncic. And then I remembered, Utah is still Utah. And anytime you believe the Utah Jazz are legitimate, don't believe it. Because if Luka Doncic is healthy, Dallas wins that series. If Luka Doncic is out, Utah wins that series. And in Game 2, when Utah could basically put away the Dallas Mavericks, they won Game 1, which was just an awful basketball game. Just an awful basketball game to watch it was like both I I saw the first half stats and it was Utah shot 27% from three Dallas shot 19% from three Utah shot under 40% from the field Dallas shot under 40% from the field I think it was like 37 and 35% shooting like both teams just played awful basketball in the first half and it was only because Donovan Mitchell is the only top 20 player in this entire series that the Utah Jazz won. And that's the simplest reason I can give you is like, like players two through 11 in this series, and no disrespect to Rudy Gobert, he's just not a great offensive weapon. Like all the other players in that series are just nothing, just nothing to work with offensively. They are basically all the same players. You got a Bogdanovich here. (laughs) How about this joke? We made the Precious Achua jokes. After Donovan Mitchell, the entire Mavericks Jazz series is just all Bogdanoviches. Reggie Bullock, Bogdanovich. Dinwiddie, he's a Bogdanovich. Dorian Finney-Smith, he's a Bogdanovich. Maxi Klebach, he's a Bogdanovich. Tim Hardaway Jr. isn't even playing, but he's also 
a Bogdanovich. Jordan Clarkson, he's a Bogdanovich. All of these guys are Bogdanoviches. And Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell are going to be the reason Utah should have won that series rather handily if you take away Luka Doncic. Because you may have heard me joke on memes of the weekend. I was laughing at the graphic that had Game 2 between Donovan Mitchell as the highlight player for the Jazz and Jalen Brunson as the best player for the Mavericks. And I was like, oh dear God, Dallas is so dependent on Luka Doncic and it sucks so bad that they haven't given him a second star. And then Jalen Brunson put up 41 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 0 turnovers, and it somehow wasn't Rudy Gobert's fault. Like, last year in the second round of the playoffs, it was 2-2 in the series. Kawhi Leonard had just gone down with a torn ACL for the Clippers. It was 2-2. Utah was the one seed. Clippers were the four seed. It was basically like a seven-seed Clippers team versus presumably the number one seed in the West with the Utah Jazz. Because if Paul George is your best player, you are a seven seed. Or this year proved, if Paul George is your best player, you're kind of a nine seed. And so, the Clippers won game five with Utah blowing a 25-point lead. And in game six, Terrence Mann dropped 40 points. 40 freaking points on the Utah Jazz just because he switched on to Rudy Gobert every single time and just got open shots and he happened to hit all of them in a game six. And I was like, that was the moment where I was like, I've been saying for years, if you ever believe in the Utah Jazz, don't. They are the discount version of the Lakers. Don't believe in them. And that was the one that's just like everything I've ever said has just been reaffirmed about the Utah Jazz. And this time it wasn't even Rudy Gobert's fault. And the Mavericks did it again. Again, it was Terrence Mann. It was Reggie Jackson. And you could go back further to like the bubble one when Jamal Murray put up 50 points. And Jamal Murray's not the type of player we're talking about here, but still, Jamal Murray putting up 50 points in a playoff game is just ridiculous. And you could go to the game two stats Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley had a combined eight points for Utah. Mike Conley put up zero points put up zero even if Jalen Brunson scores 41 points if he's doing it on 28 shots you should still be able to beat the 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 Dallas Mavericks because Donovan Mitchell can give you 41 points on 28 shots also to count to just cancel Jalen Brunson's 41 points Donovan Mitchell can give you the stat line and by the way he had 34 points in that game Donovan Mitchell can just erase that shit. And it didn't matter because Utah just keeps having this happen to them over and over again. I still think they're going to win the series. It would have just been a foregone conclusion if they had just beaten the Dallas Mavericks in Game 2. And it's so funny that it's happening to them again because I was going to go come and eulogize the Dallas Mavericks and be like, we're missing out on a rare, like, wacky finals run. Like, LeBron in 2007 was a weird run. Like, it was weird that they made the finals. There wasn't a great team in the East that year. It was a weird run. 2012 with OKC, they had to beat the Spurs 
to get to the championship. But that was the year that um, Kobe Bryant was, um, I, I think it was right, uh, Pau Gasol got hurt, I think, in that series, or Kobe got hurt in that series. It was right before they traded for Dwight Howard. And it was like, okay, Kobe needs a second younger star to pair along with him as he ages into his 30s. And OKC beat that team. And they beat the defending champion Mavericks, who were just a shell of themselves, one year removed because it was like 34-year-old Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler left and all of that stuff. Like, they were a shell of the championship team. And then the Spurs one was the one series where the equivalent of what I was saying where if Dallas had beaten the Clippers last year, if Luka had stayed healthy and they beat the Clippers last year and they would have beat Utah in the second round, no question, and then they would have gone to the conference finals against Phoenix. That was their version of their underdogs in the series. You could also see them beating Phoenix, and then last year's final has Dallas with 22-year-old Luka Doncic establishing himself as his generation's greatest star. Not that Luka Doncic isn't already his generation's greatest star. Again, just by virtue of having him on their team, they're going to win 50 games every single year, even if Luka only plays in 65 of those games. They're still guaranteed to win 50 games every year just because you have Luka Doncic. And there's only about five players total you can say that about in the NBA right now. It's Giannis, it's Kevin Durant, it's Jokic, it's Embiid, it's kind of Steph Curry. And after that, there's not really a whole lot else you can say. Guarantee 50 wins just because you have that player on your team. And Luka's right now 23 years old, and the fact he hasn't made it out of the first round doesn't diminish Luka Doncic. Like, we've already seen Luka Doncic averages 30 points a game in the regular season. He's averaged 35 a game for a playoff series. Like, he's special, and Dallas has not put the right supporting cast around him by just giving him a second all-star caliber player. Like, just give him a second top 50 player. And maybe they'll develop Jalen Brunson into that, and maybe they've done some of that this year and I just wasn't watching. They still need, like, the, the trade for Porzingis was the right idea. It was just the wrong player coming off of an injury. They just need someone to want to play with, with Luka Doncic, who can be, like, just Chris Middleton. Like, they just need the Chris Middleton equivalent for Luka Doncic at the bare minimum for them to make a deep playoff run, even with Luka at 23 years old. Because they could have done it with Tim Hardaway Jr. last year. And it just sucks that they're so close right now and Luka keeps getting hurt. Maybe they win the series anyways and Luka can get healthy and then they'll play the Phoenix Suns in the second round. Or they'll get Luka healthy enough to come back against Dallas and he's the best player in the series, even at 75% health. Who knows what the situation is? Maybe Luka just simply can't go, and that you know ruins the season for the Dallas Mavericks, where they're probably going to get bounced in the second round, but they weren't that far off last year from conference finals like Jokic did in 2019, or 2020, and then losing the second round like Denver did. Well, I guess Denver lost in the first round last year. No, they lost in the second round last year. So they aren't that far off. Luka, they were one Luka injury away from doing what Jokic did for the Denver Nuggets at 26 or 25 and 26 years old, which was took them to the conference championship and then took them 
to the second round of the playoffs with some bad injury luck and a tough matchup against the uh, Phoenix Suns last year. They were so close to just doing that with Luka at 22 and 23 years old. If they had just not had Luka get hurt last year against the Clippers, they'd probably win that series because they were up 3-2 and Luka had the neck, back, and shoulder injury. And then they lost game six and they lost game seven because Kawhi Leonard's a super freak of a human. And by the way, they, they would have lost game six no matter what. They just could have won game seven. They were so close to having that run. And that's why the one-game sample sizes are so small and so random because people could diminish Luka Doncic based on those one-game sample sizes. And I'd argue incredibly unfair given we've seen this larger body of sample size that suggests this dude is a generationally gifted player who single-handedly gets you 50 wins. And if Utah's going to butcher this and give them an opportunity to make the second round power to them, it's just going to be really, really difficult to believe that the Dallas Mavericks could do that. It, it could have been different. It could have been the thing that we talk about 15 years later, which was LeBron at 22 making the finals, Kevin Durant at 22 making the finals. That could have been Luka in last year, and it could have been Luka this year. And it's just not going to work out that way for Dallas, which stinks because we could build the narrative arc around Luka for a player who I'm pretty sure is going to be as talented and as good as LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Giannis. And maybe again, he shoots for the moon, misses, and he becomes James Harden. Still a pretty damn good place to be if you're Luka Doncic and you're your generation's greatest basketball player. New sponsor alert. It's the good people over at creditkarma.com sponsoring the Take It Easy podcast. Credit Karma can help you look for a low-interest personal loan that could help you save money while you pay off a purchase or pay down old credit card debt. Credit Karma compares loan offers for free, and it will not affect your credit score to use creditkarma.com. If you're ready to apply, you can use the link in the description to this episode or head to creditkarma.com slash loanoffers to see your personalized offers. Again, that's creditkarma.com slash loanoffers to find the loan for you. creditkarma.com slash loanoffers. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Get a little better. Episode 140 NBA playoffs have tipped off. Would you rather win the MVP award or a team championship? I would say MVP. And it might sound narcissistic to say MVP, but the, the championship thing can be a little ambiguous. Like if I'm just a dude deep on the bench, it doesn't feel as secure as say winning an MVP. I'm going to take all the opportunities an MVP can bring to me. Because if I'm an MVP, I at least have a chance of competing for a title every year, even if I don't win a championship. I would have to agree with you in this respect. I would rather take an MVP than to be the third backup on a championship level team. 
I would rather at least know that people look back at my career and know I was good at least for one season. If for nothing else, I was good. I was playing at an elite level at least one season. It would be frustrating to be in that James Harden tier. It would be frustrating to be in that Russell Westbrook tier. And if it came down to it, it would be frustrating to be in the Charles Barkley tier. But I I think it would be better for my career and legacy to be an MVP than to be just a backup champion. Robert Ori has a great point about that, where he says, of course, I would have rather have been Charles Barkley than Robert Ori. Like Charles Barkley was this incredible Hall of Fame basketball player. Of course, I would have rather been him than me who happened to win all these championships. Tough question, Slump Busters, but obviously you're sports fan for the final play-in game in the Eastern Conference. So we're still waiting for the results of who's going to be facing the number one seed Miami Heat. But we do have three matchups set and ready to go. We have the Boston Celtics versus the Nets, which we're going to be discussing in a bit with our expert from Locked On Nets, Adam Armbrecht. We have the Chicago Bulls versus the Milwaukee Bucks. And then we have the Toronto Raptors going against the Philadelphia 76ers. I guess out of the two that we can focus on, which one interests you the most? I know everyone's interested by Toronto and Philadelphia. And I think that series might be slightly closer. I feel like we can do analysis on the Heat versus Hawks and or Cavs series because it feels like uh, Miami's going to win the series, even if we don't know which team they're going to play. But I want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks because they have been the number one team all throughout the season in the East. And yet I feel like they're like the seventh most interesting story in the NBA right now. So let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks a little bit here because I think that Milwaukee finds themselves in a really, really interesting place in this grand scheme of the playoffs. Just because if you take away the Suns and you take away the Bucks, there's a little bit of chaos in the NBA. The parody that fans were clamoring for five years ago is here now. In a league of parody, Milwaukee is still the best team of the group. And part of that is just having Giannis. Part of that is having the same core of the team that went to the finals last year. And part of it is just recency bias on our part. But I do think Milwaukee is a really interesting team because of they're going to follow like a similar path to last year, right? If I think that Boston or the Nets will lose to Milwaukee and Milwaukee's going to just slaughter the Bulls. I'd like to put that out there. It's going to be four. And if it's not four, it's going to be five because Milwaukee gives them a game by, you know, whatever it ends up being. Milwaukee being Milwaukee, because that used to be a term was bucking it up, but then they won a championship and we stopped saying they bucked it up. But I think that Milwaukee going forward in this playoffs is really interesting because Giannis is the best player in the NBA. He's his generation superstar. He just had a 50-point championship victory game with like a flamingo leg. And we're quick to forget what might be like one of the most amazing finals performances in the history or in the modern history of the NBA. Let's say in my lifetime. Let's say in my lifetime, it might be one of the greatest finals performances ever. And Giannis's greatness has kind of just become numb to people now, in part because the Bucks didn't get as many nationally televised games this year. And in part because it's been droning excellence for like four years now for Giannis and it's nothing different. He's still just running rough shot over the league. And because the Bucks aren't the same level of storyline interesting, they kind of fade to the background a little bit. So Milwaukee is really interesting. It's also interesting that they tanked the last game of the season to avoid the Brooklyn Nets, which I think was a strategy that's more entertaining for us as basketball fans is waiting for the Milwaukee and Brooklyn series because those might be the two best teams in the East. They're probably not the two best teams in the East, but they might be the two best teams in the East. So that part's interesting. They're in the exact same spot they were last year, which is three seed. They're going to get an easy win in the first round, and then they're going to get a second round matchup against either Kevin Durant or in a weird off chance.
against the Boston Celtics. It'll be really interesting to watch that play off. A weird off chance that the number two seed with the 50 plus wins actually advances to the second round. Okay. Yes. Uh, I do agree with you that this will be an easy first round series for the Bucks. If you asked me a couple months ago, I might have disagreed because the Bulls were playing well. But ever since the All-Star break, the Bulls have really struggled. DeMar DeRozan kind of came back down to earth. Their defense took a huge hit. I think it's been partially because of all these injuries they've kind of had to suffer through throughout the year. You've seen Zach Levine go in and out of the lineup, Alex Caruso go in and out of the lineup. And then of course, Lonzo Ball isn't even in the series. Lonzo Ball is out. And I think that's going to be one of the things that impacts the Bulls the most, the fact that they don't have their guys. I think if they had a full healthy lineup, this might be a six game series because the Bulls were playing that well when they were a healthy team. But now the Bulls that are going into this playoffs, they were, again, one of the worst teams in the NBA second half. That's why Milwaukee, who's coming in a little bit hot, should be able to steamroll them relatively easy. I'm going to give them a game. I'm going to say this is a five-game series for Milwaukee. Another thing is the Bulls were also a struggling team. They were also getting blown out. So it's not like they were just losing a bunch of close games. No, they're getting blown out. And that's just more discouraging if you're a Chicago fan. I think that there's some things to be excited for for Chicago moving forward now that you kind of seem to have a good construct around Billy Donovan's a solid coach for you. So Milwaukee's yeah. going to advance. And uh, if you want to stick tuned to see who they're going to advance the face, definitely check out our interview with Adam Armbrecht, where we give our predictions for the Nets Boston series. On the other side of the bracket, you mentioned the possibility that the Raptors and 76ers has moved to being a closer series. And it's even a series that I think has some sneaky potential for an upset. Bible being out because of the COVID policies in Canada, who would have thought that that would have came up in the postseason? I, I know we we're talking about the Nets might have to avoid Toronto because then you would have the possibility of Kyrie being out. But now Thibault being out for the Bulls, that, that's a, definitely one of the guys that really took over for them in the second half to kind of ease that transition when James Harden got there. And then obviously you're relying on James Harden, who doesn't have exactly a postseason resume to write home about to produce for the first time in an NBA playoff situation. This is not a good matchup for the 76ers in that respect. There's also a lot of hot seat pressure on Doc Rivers heading into this one because Doc's last couple stops have been something that's uh, obviously drawn a lot of criticism, drawn a lot of ire. Ben Simmons, how that falling out happened last postseason. And then just a couple weeks ago, people were noticing how he was calling out James Harden in a press conference. If James struggles or Joel struggles, I think all I should be on Doc as opposed to the players. Given Doc was kind of a weird hiring to begin with coming off his 3-1 collapse against the Denver Nuggets a couple years back in the bubble. I think I'm going to go bold here. I'm going to say Raptors and six. Spicy. Bold. No mercy. Cajones pick of the week. Raptors and six. That would be quite shocking considering I, I view the Raptors as just an entire team of precious Achuas at this point. Just the entire roster is all precious Achuas, just recreated in different forms. But remember at the start of the season when we did our uh, our tier rankings and uh, I had the Bulls exactly correct. I said the Bulls exactly correct as, as the sixth seed, as the seventh seed type in the East. I said the Knicks would be decent and the Raptors would be bad. And I, I missed those two just a little bit because 
because I should have known that Toronto is a very, very well-run organization and the New York Knicks are far from a well-run organization. So I'm upset for missing that one. Philadelphia is going to win the series. I think that one should be without question because if you're picking stars it. in the series. It's yeah. not just about picking stars in the series. They had more stars than the Atlanta Hawks last year too. Yes, and that was a historic uh, collapse, choke job, whatever you want to call it. It was essentially, I, I say this all the time, one in 778 odds that they blew a 24-point second-half lead in Game 5 against the Hawks and a 25-point second-half lead against the Hawks in Game 7. So it was just a historic collapse where the Sixers were very clearly better than the Hawks, and they lost. That could happen again in the playoffs. It just probably won't happen to Toronto. Even though Toronto is a similarly skilled team this year to last year's Hawks team, that one just felt like a weird anomaly. But Toronto is actually pretty good. Like Toronto, as much as I think they're just a team of precious Achuas, like Fred Van Fleet is now like a bona fide all-star in the NBA. Siakam's a fine third star. They don't really have a second star, but they've kind of like filled the gaps in between with precious Achuas um, and precious Achua adjacent type players, which is like OG Ananobi. But I do think that Toronto, as long as they don't commit fouls, right, that's the big name of the game because Joel Embiid dominates inside and gets to the free throw line. James Harden's game lives at the free throw line. And that's kind of the thing that he was complaining about when the rule changes kicked in this year. And he was incredibly overweight, as we found out this week when Kevin Durant was like mesmerized by that when he showed up to camp. But Philadelphia, with those two players alone, should be able to beat Toronto. And I say should be able to beat Toronto and probably will beat Toronto. I'm going to say... I don't know, let's say five and a half. Like it'll be either five or six games to win the series, but come on, this is your flag. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I'll say the I'll say five. Care, Kyle. I'll say five then. I mean, I'll I'll give the 76ers the series. But again, like the 76ers are incredibly thin after those two players. I think that the gap between that and Van Fleet is so significant that even if you call the Raptors a strength in numbers team or their great advantage is the coaching staff and Nick Nurse's schemes, I still think the MVP of the league should be able to take care of them relatively easily, uh, which is no disrespect to Toronto. It's just Philadelphia is a very, very good team. Although I will say smart basketball people are saying that the Philadelphia 76ers are uh, doomed for a disappointment in the postseason. And if they lose to Toronto, that would just be like, oh my gosh, we have to start questioning everything we've done at this point. But I don't think the difference between Philadelphia and Toronto is losing Seth Curry or losing Matisse Tybel. I could be wrong or losing Matisse Tybel for three possible games. But I still think that the Sixers should win that series. But I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that smart basketball people are saying that this might be closer than we give them credit for. But I'm still going to take the 76ers in, uh, I'm going to say, officially five and a half games, whether it's five or six feels kind of like semantics, but they should win this series. Yeah, we'll we'll put it down as five. But if it goes six, I'm going to say, hey, I I wasn't in love with five. Uh, This is a pequeño cojones pick. This is a pequeño cojones pick. Uh, You went tremendo cojones in picking the Toronto Raptors to win 
win the series. This is a, I'm just going to take chalk and pick the Philadelphia 76ers. I kind of wonder if Canada low-key thought that this was going to be an advantage in sports. Oh, let's, let's keep these COVID policies around for a little bit. I'm just saying, <laughs> keep some stars. Well, it was a disadvantage last year. I thought the Raptors were just bad because they lost Kawhi Leonard, but it turns out they were just pissed that they had to play in Tampa for the entire season and just wanted the year to be over. Turns out that they're actually still pretty good and they just didn't like playing in Tampa for a whole season. Same thing with the Blue Jays. I'm convinced the Blue Jays missed the playoffs last year just because they were playing in Buffalo for half the season. It'd be good to see a fell Aggie, Pascal Saikam. It's interesting to hear people talk about him as a third team, all NBA guy. I didn't realize where in the ranking of power forwards that Pascal really ranks, but good for Spicy P. Between him, Fred Van Vliet, Barnes, I, I think the Raptors can make a little bit of noise and do an upset in the first round series. I'm sad I meant I forgot to mention Scotty Barnes. Like he's not going to win rookie of the year because of how good Mobley's been, but Scotty Barnes was awesome. And I was laughing at that pick when he got drafted because that was 100% supposed to be Jalen Suggs. And now Jalen Suggs has gotten beat out by Cole Anthony in Orlando. So the, the Raptors were smarter than me, which is a, something we've been saying for the past six to seven years in Toronto is the Raptors are really well run as an organization. Guess we got to give some apologies to that random fan in the comments that was pissed after your tier ranking video came out. Didn't realize yeah. how aggressive Toronto fans would be. I thought Canadians will be chill. Canadians don't mind. You could say they're tanking and they'll be okay. And we actually got some pushback. I didn't say one. they were tanking. I said they were bad. You I said, said they, they were, were tanking. I can review oh. the tape. Review the tape. <laughs> Wow. Oh. Okay. That was, that's just bad on my part then. If they won 48 games, I just, I just missed on them. I just straight missed on Toronto. So maybe I'll miss on them again by saying they're going to get smacked out of the first round by Philadelphia. I feel like you're literally the bulletin board material that they need. Yeah. I, I, hopefully I can give Canada and all of their precious Achuas some, uh, some beautiful bulletin board material because they also have Malachi Flynn, San Diego State Aztec. Shout out to him as well. I just picture Justin Trudeau just putting in Canadian newspapers your image and saying this guy is doubting the Raptors this guy is who we strike back against Canada I I love Canada Canada has the the Winnipeg Jets I guess (laughs) love Canada those are our picks I am going with the Raptors Kyle is going with the 76ers you'll have to stick around for our Boston Nets preview either way we're going with Miami but we understand whether it's the Hawks whether it's the Cavs it's going to be a good series. And again, sorry, Chicago. We had the Bucks going over you pretty easy, but let's move on. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. Mavs versus Utah. That's going to be a great series. Golden State versus Denver. And you have the Grizzlies versus the Timberwolves. A couple of generational talents. Three series that, again, I think I'm happy with. I really like this NBA playoffs. Whether it's the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference, there's a lot of good matchups. And even the possibility of who might face the Suns, even that series possibility has some potential. Let's start with the Mavericks versus Utah. That's one that kind of drew my attention from the start when we were first looking at matchups. And I think what it's really going to come down to. Uh, Luca is coming into this matchup banged up. Calf injury, and we know how dangerous those can be. Sometimes you hear calf and you kind of dismiss it. I've had a calf injury. I didn't think much of it, but you realize that's not too far away from that all-important Achilles ligament, and when that thing's gone, it, it could lead into a whole lot of disaster for an NBA player. We've seen Boogie Cousins. We saw Clay Thompson, Achilles, ACL, Achilles, ACL. Once you get in that string of injuries, it's 
hard to come back from. And certainly the Mavericks are going to do everything they can to make sure that Luca is in a position in which he doesn't suffer from this long term. But at the same time, they want to win some playoff series. Even the competitor in Luca says he wants to be out there for his teammates. We'll see how they manage that because I don't think the Mavericks have much depth behind Luca. Whereas I look at the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell's been amazing in the playoffs. He's averages over 33 points a game. Rudy Gobert gets shit on a lot, but Rudy Gobert is going to go in the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest all-time defenders. Guy who's consistently on the all-defensive teams and all-NBA teams at center. And then, of course, Mike Conley. Maybe a Hall of Very Good guy, but Mike Conley saw score, quality perimeter defense. Those three guys in a limited Luka, the Mavericks, they're going in as the favorites, but I think a lot of Vegas odds makers are hinging on Luka available throughout the series. What, what do you think about this one? I'm kind of torn myself. It would be wrong of us with a responsibility on this podcast. I think we have a responsibility to not give people predictions for this series because if Luca doesn't play, it changes the entire outcome of the series. And right now, Luca looks like he's game to game at this point. Woj said this morning, I don't know if this counts as breaking news, but that Luka Doncic is looking doubtful to play in game one of this series, which again suggests that if he's not well enough to play then, that they're just trying to get him to like 75 80% in order to play. It changes the entire series because the way that Dallas was going to beat Utah was just switch Luka Doncic on Rudy Gobert every single time. Just on the perimeter, just run screen and rolls, switch Luka onto Rudy Gobert every time because remember last year in the playoffs, which was kind of the big revelation was you can just switch Rudy Gobert off the floor. If you make Rudy Gobert have to guard the perimeter, he becomes almost obsolete as a defender. And so they they have Luca, who's the ultimate perimeter weapon to go one-on-one on one against Rudy Gobert. But if you take that away, you don't have the scoring threat. As much as Spencer Dinwiddie can shoot the ball, you don't have the scoring threat that Luka Doncic is. And 36% of their offense runs through Luka Doncic, which like only LeBron James, I think, had a similar yeah. percentage of usage In rate. fact, I can speak on that. Apparently, he had eighth all-time usage percentage. So that kind of gives some historical context how important Luka is to this Mavericks team. And over the last stretch of playoff games, he too was averaging over 33 points a game for them. Replacing 33 points in your lineup is not an easy task. Think about how crazy that is, though. Like LeBron James had the ridiculously high usage rate and the Lakers just couldn't do anything. And then Luka has the high usage rate and the Mavericks won 50 games. Like they've won 50 games almost entirely off the back of Luka Doncic. And if Luka was healthy, I would say in another cop-out situation, this is one of those Mavericks in five and a half series or six and a half type of series. So like Mavericks winning the series against the Jazz, regardless of how many games it takes to get there, is more semantics. Like maybe the series is 2-2, but the Mavericks would win the series if they have Luka Doncic. If they don't have Luka Doncic, they have no chance to beat the Utah Jazz because the Utah Jazz have Donovan Mitchell, who will give you, like you said, an average of 33 points a game in the playoffs, along with who you mentioned, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson. I don't think they have Bogdanovich for this series, but I could be wrong. I think Bogdanovich might be healthy, might not. I'm not 100% sure. Utah is the team that like they're consistently good enough to either make the first round or get to the second round based on matchups. Like that's just consistently who Utah has been over the past like four to five years. I think they've made six playoff appearances straight now, but one of the two of those were with Gordon Hayward, I think. So that's their team. They'll beat Dallas if they don't have Luka for say even like three games of the series. In the regular season, these teams split the season 
season series 2-2. This one, we kind of have to cop out. We kind of have to hedge and say, if Luka plays, I think the Mavericks win. If he doesn't, I think it's Utah. I would say even if he is in there, there is the slight possibility I could see Utah going over just because they do have more depth on their team. Like Spencer Dimwitty is fine, but he's only putting up about 16 points a game for them since he was traded over following the Kristaps Porzingis trade. I I don't think that that's going to be a difference maker if Luka has to miss significant time or certainly miss a couple games in the series. It's interesting how the Mavericks would have matched up against the Jazz had this been a straight up series. We knew who the stars were. We knew everyone is healthy going in because the Jazz are a horrible team against isolation. Well, the Mavericks are one of the best in the NBA. That alone is a perfect matchup advantage for the Mavericks going into this one. And they'll still probably play a good amount of isolation. But the problem with isolation is you have to be extremely efficient for it to really work. And you lose some efficiency when you have your superstar out of your lineup. It's interesting this week too, with the Frank Vogel firing, Quinn Snyder, of course, was talked about for the Lakers job. So this is a big season for him. This is a big postseason for him. I think when you're talked about for another team's head coaching job, it's with the assumption that you're not going to be in your current job, either because they fire you or they fire you. There's not a lot of <laughs> options for Quinn Snyder to go because he's kind of topped out with the Utah Jazz for the most part. It doesn't seem like this team's a team that can win a championship this year. So most people just assume that where, wherever they end, whether it be the second round, maybe they get lucky and get into the Western Conference Finals. Quinn Snyder's time is going to end in Utah this season. I, I think he at least has a first round series win in him. You know, I'm not going to hedge. I'm, I'm going to say Utah wins in six regardless because just knowing that Luka could miss a game, two games, I think is enough. If Utah can get the advantage and win the first two games, then that sets the series up for Donovan and Conley and Clarkson just to finish it. The Mavericks are going to do a great job of double teaming Donovan Mitchell, and that's what they did to win their last couple games against him. But that's where the other guys, the two through five guys in their lineup come in big. And I I think that's enough to put the Jazz over the Mavericks. Yeah, Utah's just got to get one of these games. And like if Luka doesn't play the first two games in Dallas, Utah's just got to get one of them and they'll be in good position because then they get three home games and five and six in Dallas with or without Luka Doncic. They'll, they'll be in a good position. There. You know, it's a real shame because if you told me going into this playoffs that Luka was fully healthy, I might say that the Mavericks have, I'm not picking them as a favorite by any means, but if you told me a dark horse playoff team, I mean, we've seen some dark horses over the last two playoffs. We saw the upstart Atlanta Hawks last year, and then we saw the Miami Heat two years ago. If you asked me who could be that team this year, I would say the Dallas Mavericks was Luka because this is the first time that they don't have to go against the Clippers to knock them out. Put it, um, put it this way. They have as many flaws as the Grizzlies and the Warriors, right? Like we can see them advancing just as equally as we could see that Memphis this and Golden State advancing deep in the playoffs. And you told me that the Suns were to blow a series. We give James Harden shit. We also have to give Chris Paul his fair share of for how he performs in the postseason. I don't give That's- either of them shit, though. That's it's a it's a constructed narrative that people have done. I don't give either of them shit, though. They have some very icky stat lines in the playoffs. It's not you can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater when we talk about their postseason legacies. But the Mavericks would have had the potential to get by that Phoenix team. I think that Phoenix team is very good. And I think that Phoenix team is ultimately going to win the Western Conference. But if Luca's healthy, one superstar just goes God mode, takes over, does a LeBron James in his prime, Dallas would have been that team. They're not that team now. And that's why I'm picking the Utah Jazz to beat them 
in this first round series. Uh, let's move on to another one. Let's move on to, like I said, some young guns dueling it out. You have the Timberwolves versus the Memphis Grizzlies. And Ja reportedly, so speaking of another superstar who's coming in banged up, reportedly will be fully healthy play in this first round series. That's good. I've liked the Grizzlies all year, but this Timberwolves team, when you start like comparing like the superstar talent, the high-end talent on both rosters, you start talking about Cat, you start talking about Anthony Edwards, Delos pitched in well, and of course, that firecracker, Patrick Beverly, just leading that team, the heart and soul of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I was happy about it. We talked about it a little bit pre-show. I was happy that they got that first playoff appearance, that play-in win. It was kind of the closest we ever come to a March Madness fill in the NBA, and it was cool to see the Timberwolves be able to celebrate that. I'm not saying that the Grizzlies are made men going into the series. Yes, they've been very impressive throughout the entire regular season. They are a good team. You look at their record without Jaw, tells you how good of a team they are. The fact that they were 20 and three without him. And that's not an indictment of Jaw. I think that that's just a plus to the Grizzlies. That tells you how good the Grizzlies are as a team. Now they get Jaw back. And when they had Jaw, you look at how much of a scoring threat he is on a nightly basis. Some of the things he can do with the ball. I'm excited that we get to see Jaw in the postseason. That, thank God. Because I was a little worried there after the injury is this going to be one of those things that kind of matriculates throughout the postseason and again kind of like Luca where we just don't know if he's going to be playing full capacity or not again they're saying full health if they're saying full health I'm going to trust them full health I'm going to pick the Grizzlies in seven I think this is going to be a tight series I I think that the Timberwolves have more high-end depth players even though we kind of question where Cat is on that superstar tier even though we kind of question how effective D'Lo is from time to time Anthony Edwards is still pretty young so we don't know how good he's going to turn into but those three players they've shown this year and I guess they just needed that leader in the locker room Patrick Beverly's an asshole but when he's your asshole when he's on your team type of guy that you want in that locker room That's interesting because as much as I feel like I haven't watched any Timberwolves basketball this year because I haven't, at the same time, it feels like if this series is going to go long, it's going to be because Memphis isn't putting them away more than it is going to be the good things that the Timberwolves do. Because Memphis is kind of in this similar stage to Dallas where the natural progressions of a young superstar, at least a team led by a young superstar. And for this, this baby generation right now, I think it's easy to say that Luke and John Morant are the two best players of their generation right now. You could throw Trey Young in the mix there, which I love me some Trey Young, but I don't think Trey Young is the caliber of player that those two are. You could throw Zion in the mix if he's healthy and all that stuff. But the natural progressions in like a rookie contract, because usually like John Morant, number two pick in the draft, Luca, number three pick in the draft. Like you generally have to be kind of bad to get one of those generational stars. And so it kind of works like you get close to the playoffs, then you get a seven game series. Then you win a playoff series. Then you're all of a sudden a competitor by the time you get to year four or year five of playing with the same team. And so it's just the way the NBA construct exists. So Memphis in the bubble got the play-in game where they lost to Portland. Then they made it to the play-in game and they beat Golden State last year. And then they got a seven-game series where they got smacked by the Utah Jazz. And now they're good enough to maybe win a seven-game playoff series. It's the same thing with the Mavericks, right? Like Mavericks in the bubble, six-game series against the Clippers where 
Luca hit an amazing buzzer beater that's making the playoffs for the first time. Then it's going seven games against the Clippers, and they probably should have won last year if Luca doesn't get hurt. And then this year, it's winning a playoff series. As long as Luca's healthy, they should win a playoff series, and then et cetera, et cetera. So Memphis is in that place right now where they should win this series as long as they put away the, the Minnesota Timberwolves, because the Minnesota Timberwolves, as much as I'm falling in love with this team all over again, even though I last year did multiple podcasts about how crazy this franchise is and how their general manager got fired for having an affair with someone within the organization and they dumped a coach and immediately hired his replacement who they wanted to hire in the first place, but the owner intervened and all the Jimmy Butler stuff and Andrew Wiggins and all the stuff that happened with Minnesota where the only good things that ever happened in Minnesota is when they're so bad that they just have to get good players. Because in the NBA, if you stay bad long enough, you will eventually get good things happen to you. Minnesota, Carl Anthony Towns, number one pick in the draft. Anthony Edwards, number one pick in the draft. Wiggins, number one pick in the draft. Where did they get D'Angelo Russell from? Trading the number one pick in the draft Wiggins for the former number two pick in the draft. So that's the only way good things happen to Minnesota. Can I just say, I kind of feel bad for D'Lo in his career. He has been shit on. He has just been done so dirty in this league. And I'm glad that he finally seems to have found a home that respects and likes his skill set. Obviously, you look back at his Lakers tenure and the whole snitching on Swaggy P incident that got him in trouble. And then he gets traded to Brooklyn and Brooklyn, they embrace him for that year. They go into that playoff run and then Kyrie and KD get in sound. So it's get out of here, D'Lo. It goes to the Warriors. The Warriors are bad because everyone's hurt. KD's gone. Even when Steph is on the court, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And then finally he lands in Minnesota. It's not perfect out the gate because we knew that this Minnesota Timberwolves team was lacking something. They're lacking a little bit of competitive spirit. You get a guy like Patrick Beverly that goes into the locker rooms like, what's your role? What's your role? What's your role? And everyone finds their role and D'Lo seems to find a role on this team. I'm happy for D'Lo that he seems to have somewhat of a career resurgence because he hasn't been the complete bust that people talk about him like he is. No, he's made an all-star team in the past and also he's only 26 years old. Like D'Angelo Russell had to go through the maturity of, oh, I was 19 years old and I snitched on a grown man and him cheating on his girlfriend and now that's all I'm known for and all of that stuff. Like he had to bounce back from that and getting outcasted by the Lakers, which in part the Lakers were just set up to fail when he was there. But yeah, good for him. Love Patrick Beverly. I, I was telling you beforehand, like his story is like a Disney movie the way that we talk about Rudy is the way we're supposed we should talk about Patrick Beverly but we've all decided that because he's an instigator we just hate him at least the internet has decided we all hate him this dude played in Ukraine and Russia and Greece and then gets signed to the G League then he's the fourth string point guard on the Rockets third string point guard second string gets a contract first string on the Rockets traded for Chris Paul becomes the instigator for the Clippers gets benched by the Clippers the Clippers say you can't play anymore they trade him to Memphis he never plays for Memphis. He gets traded to Minnesota and then he gets the game winning steal in the playoffs on his former team. Like how cool is that story? So while I'm falling in love with this incredible dumpster fire of a Minnesota Timberwolves team, Memphis should win this series. Memphis is really, really good. Even around John Morant, like you said, like 
Desmond Bain broke the three-point record for a player under 21, or I think he broke the Grizzlies three-point franchise record too, which is pretty incredible. Desmond Bain from, I think, TCU, which is weird that that's a basketball program now. But yeah, TCU, Jaron Jackson, really good. Dylan Brooks. Last year when they made that run, we thought he was the second best player on the Grizzlies. So let's not discount him. Let me say Memphis is going to go up 3-1 in the series. And after that, anything can happen. It could be, you know, maybe maybe Minnesota steals a game five and then they get game six at home and Memphis struggles to put them away. But let's say Memphis will go up 3-1 in the series. And then after that, it's anyone's guess. Memphis will win the series, but five, six, seven games all are on the table. If you if you're making me pin me down and pick one, I'll, I'll pick six and hedge my bet. But I will say the series will get to 3-1 Memphis. And after that, Minnesota has a choice whether or not to lay down or to kind of fight back and try and come back from down 3-1. Our next first round series that we will break down is a battle of the 2021 MVP finalists, Steph Curry versus Nikola Jokic. Luckily for the Warriors, kind of breaking news, I guess in the last 12 hours, it appears that Steph Curry was a full participant in their first playoff practice. Highly important because if you told me Steph was out this series, I would actually went with the Nuggets. I was leaning that way, knowing that Steph's health was one of my biggest concerns because you look at the Warriors and you look particularly in their back half of the year, they were really struggling down the stretch, not just because Steph was gone. Draymond, ever since coming back from injury, just hasn't been that same guy. Clay, since coming back from his injury, has not been Clay Thompson. So yes, you got some battle-tested, hardened veterans on this team, but without that leader, without that core central figure of Steph Curry, I don't look at the Warriors and think that they're world beaters. And I haven't looked at them as world beaters since really January. They haven't been competing at that level since January of the season. Knowing that Curry is back, I have this one as Warriors in six. I I think that's just Nikola is going to get you a game or two. Obviously, you tell me Jamal Murray's in this matchup. You tell me Michael Porter Jr. is in that matchup. That completely changes around the way we look at these games. But Nikola just has to go solo act again. And that's unfortunate for him as he kind of hopes to try and make some noise in the postseason. You would hope that maybe by next year that you can have a Nuggets team that has all three of those dudes, all three of those guys that they drafted and have developed. Sometimes you get screwed by health, sometimes you don't. And I, I guess just when you look at the time of the injury for Jamal Murray just happened at the worst time because it's basically stolen two postseason runs from him. Yeah. Yeah. Denver, Denver has kind of gone all in on those players and it hasn't worked out for them. Uh, Jokic can be a free agent after next season, but I know he says he wants to stay in Denver. So that might take some of the suspense out of uh, my pipe dream of him getting traded to the Phoenix Suns this offseason and forming a big three with Booker and CP3. But anyways, Denver is going to lose this series just because the matchup is really poor for them. Like if they had matched up against Utah or they had matched up against Dallas, or even if they'd matched up against Memphis, like I could make an argument that they could win the series. This is just a terrible matchup for them because as great as Jokic is, and he's the MVP of the league by far and offensive numbers and all that stuff, 
they don't play great defense and the Golden State Warriors specifically they don't play great perimeter defense and that's a problem when you face the Golden State Warriors I should note that the Nuggets are three and one in the regular season against the Warriors I I remember that a couple of these losses came when the Warriors really started to backslide down the stretch so just some important notes to throw so so when Draymond was probably injured I'm guessing probably changed some of the numbers there I remember that they lost whenever we spoke to locked on warriors they were coming off a loss to the denver nuggets and that was right around draymond's injury but i think draymond was back for this most recent loss actually no no march march 10th so actually the warriors have the most recent win in the regular season series against the nuggets but overall the nuggets have dominated this matchup you had a very low scoring game in december 117 116 game i believe that was the game i'm referring to 131 124 like a week later and then 113 to 102 their last game in the Warriors favor in terms of the looking at the regular season it's not as poor of a matchup as you're portraying here in the early going but it, it is one that I I don't feel good I mean I've already picked it I've already said I think the Warriors are going up in six I'm just saying I don't think it's necessarily as bad a matchup as you think I mean at the very least Nuggets have more size than the Warriors well, I think like it's one part of the game, right? So like Nuggets defense versus Warriors offense is a small part of the game. I mean, it's it's close to half of the game. Like if you're talking about it in a practical terms, yes, that is true. But, you know, the flip side is the Denver Nuggets score a lot of points. And this is the exact same argument I make for the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like this is the exact same argument I say is like, it doesn't matter if they don't play defense because Kevin Durant can play at least okay defense. And they have two players who can give you a bucket whenever you want. And Jokic is in that LeBron camp, like the way we talked about LeBron on the Cavs, where like he elevates the teammates around him and LeBron like carried a bunch of randos to the finals a couple times. There's just not enough offensive weapons on the Denver Nuggets around Jokic, which that won't matter. Jokic will get them a game. He might get them two games. Like Jokic is that incredible. If he was matched up against a team where their best player was, say, Donovan Mitchell, that might help them a little bit better. I think that Steph Curry is he's not the same player he once was he's not even the same player he was last year but Steph Curry still in the same way elevates the offense around him I know Wiggins has been just putrid ever since we talked to our buddy over at uh, Locked On Warriors but it still feels like the Warriors should win this series I'll say six games also I think it's just a, a matter of the Nuggets just don't have enough but the Nuggets this might be the the best matchup of like the first round in the sense that both of these teams might be top four teams in the Western Conference I don't think any other matchup we got is like truly top four teams going up against each other. I think the only matchup you can say that in the East also is is Boston and Brooklyn. So like, I guess in terms of a matchup, this would be the second best matchup of any series once we get to this point. I just wish the Nuggets had another go-to scorer. Jokic has to do everything in the offense. And by the way, him doing everything in the offense made them the sixth highest rated offense in the league this year. Like Jokic is absolutely incredible at doing everything in the offense. He's one of the two players in the league who can actually do that. That'll keep them close. I agree with you that it's it's closer than people think. I'm going to take the Warriors just because as great as Jokic is, Golden State has some levels of answers for not him offensively. You can't stop him. You can only like slow him down offensively and like hold the ball longer. But, you know, the Warriors offense has answers for the Nuggets. The, the Warriors defense relatively has answers for the Nuggets. They have answers for everyone else except Jokic. They just, 
you know, obviously Clay Thompson can play a level of defense. They'll put Draymond on Aaron Gordon, who's basically like their second scoring option at this point. Maybe they'll even put Draymond on Jokic, who knows? But I think that it's it's not going to work out super well for, for the Nuggets in terms of winning the series. I think they would have rather just match up against someone else in the first round. 